this evening. If you would take your Bible and turn to Psalms chapter 25. Psalm. The 25th Psalm. <clears throat> I'm going to preach on thinking positively about yourself tonight. I really am. When I give you the title, you go, yeah, he really is. But it's not how you think. It's not how the world thinks. Anyway, Psalms chapter 25. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me to thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and loving kindnesses. For they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine infliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. O keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. (coughs) Excuse me. So I've titled the message tonight, Lifting Yourself. Lifting Yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your precious word. Father, we thank you for the encouragement and the strength that we could find in your word. And I pray tonight, as look on the word of God, that we would be encouraged and challenged and strengthened and drawn into a closer relationship into our loving Heavenly Father. We do thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know the title of this message sounds very selfish and self-centered. But my prayer is, till the end of the message, you will see that it is not the case. But you will see that if you are not willing to lift up your soul to God, you're opposing yourself. So, lift yourself. Notice in verse 1. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Here the psalmist saying, Unto thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Uh, To lift up the soul. The soul, of course, is the 
is, is what we describe as self. It's our life. It's our creature. It's our person. It's our appetite. It's our mind. It's our living being. It's our desires, our emotions, our passions. It's the inner being of man. It is the real you. It is that which controls and commands your body. That's your soul. And when the Bible says to lift it up, the word, the phrase there, lift up, means to desire something, to anxiously long for. The idea is to anxiously long for the aid of God. And so the psalmist says, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul or anxiously long, or I anxiously long for your aid, for your help. In Psalm 24 and verse 4, um, you notice he says here, What ought we ought not to lift up our soul unto? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who ought not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. In Psalm 86 and verse 4, again, it uses the phrase being lifted up. Psalm 86 and verse 4. Rejoice thy soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, again, do I lift up my soul. Do I lift up my soul? And then in Psalm 143, in verse uh, 8, he says, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way in where I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. So to lift up my soul is to humbly cast yourself down before him and with your whole heart seek him. Uh, seek his help. You know, Psalm 119, two times of Psalm 119, verse 10, uh, he says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. And then again in verse 20, I think it's, yeah, verse 20, um, my soul breaketh for the longing that it hath under thy judgments at all time. So, so it, and, and it really the, this principle, of course, is taught in the New Testament also in Colossians th uh, 3 and verse 2 where it says, set your affections on things above. You know, your soul is the seat of your affections, your emotions. It's your being. And we're to set our affections on those and so the word picture is to lower yourself. It's like going before a king, like Esther went before King Ahasuerus, and she bowed down before him and then begged him, pleaded with him with her whole heart. Take care of the people. And we need to come before God, pleading with him, begging him with our whole heart. Reminds me of when David. Remember when David um, was going to go to war with Achish against the children of Israel, against Saul and the armies of Israel, and the princess said, uh, "You know, hey, uh, King, we don't want this guy going with us. What if he, in the midst of the battle, turns around and goes with King Saul again?" And so, you know, of course, Achish sent him back, and in the meantime. The Amalekites had invaded Ziklag and took off all his, all their wives and their children and all their loot and made off with it. And, and the Bible says that they thought of stoning David, but the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. 
You know, he lifted up his soul. He cried out to God for help. And here he says, unto thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And so we need to lift up our soul unto God. We, the idea is looking up to him. And I want to notice five things from this chapter that lifting up our soul to God, lifting yourself to God, will do for you. First of all, it makes God personal. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, O my God. You know, if we're, if to lift up our soul, we have to desire and claim him as, I have to desire and claim him as mine. He's my God. It, it demonstrates that, that I claim him as mine. You know, we, we teach the children to sing, you know, mine, 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 Jesus is mine, Jesus is always mine. You know, it's kind of still a little chorus, but it's true. You know, he is always ours, and, and it makes him personable, personable to us. And of course, this looking up is predicated upon faith in God's word. You know, we are to believe in God's favor. We are to believe in his grace toward us and, and believe and trust him and make him personal in our life. Uh, Ephesians 1.19 says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ? You know, 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you. What things? All these things. He's talking about the things he wrote in 1 John. How to have full fellowship with God. The possibility of full, of full joy, not fellowship, full joy, that your joy may be full. He wrote that your joy may be full. He wrote that we may have fellowship with him. He wrote that we may have the love of God manifested to us. Love the brethren, have confidence and assurance that he will supply all our needs. You see, we need to make him make all these things that he's given to us mine so it makes God personal it requires a trust in God he says again in verse 2 oh my God I trust in thee let me not be ashamed let not mine enemies triumph over me I trust in thee it demonstrates a trust in the Lord it requires a trust. You know, Esther believed that King Ahasuerus was going to be entreated of her. She prepared for that. She was willing to risk her life to do that. Because she believed that the king would intervene. You know, we have to believe that God will hear us. We have to trust him, and we ought to trust him. You know, we can't trust man. Psalm 6011 says, give us help from trouble for brain is the help of man. Psalm 108 verse 12, give us help from trouble for brain is the help of man. Isaiah 30 verse 7, he says, for the Egyptians shall help in vain. If you're going to go to the world for help, it'll be vain help. It'll be worthless. And to no purpose, therefore have a cry concerning this, their strength, he says, Isaiah 30, verse 7, their strength is to sit still. You know, when you trust God, you'll sit still and wait on him. Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And so we need to be still and believe and trust God and know that he is God. To see God demonstrate himself in his life. After all, he is good. Verse 8 says, good and upright is the Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. You know, God will never take advantage of us. Never. You know, sometimes you, you make yourself useful to people, and sometimes they take advantage of you. Maybe at the job, on the job. You know, people sometimes will take advantage of you. Uh, but God will never take advantage of us. And we are trusting him because he is good. He is the fountain or source of life. You know, there's a phrase in Psalm 87, verse 7, where it says, All my springs are in thee. Now notice, all my springs are in thee. And the word springs there means the fountain. It speaks of a fountain itself. It indicates the greatest joy, the greatest pleasures, and the greatest delights. And the psalmist said, all my springs are in thee. You know, in John 1, 4, in him was life. The word life there means the absolute fullness of life. It's in him. And we can trust him. We need to trust in him. We need to have faith in him. Spurgeon said this in his commentary, quote, Faith is the cable which binds our boat to the shore. And by pulling at it, we draw ourselves to land. Faith unites us to God and then draws us near to him. As long as the anchor of faith holds, there is no fear in the worst tempest. If that should fail us, there would be no hope left. We must see to it that our faith is sound and strong, for otherwise prayer cannot prevail with God. Woe to the warrior who throws away his shield. What defense can be found for him who finds no defense in his God? Unquote. So faith is that cable which binds our boat to the shore, and as we pull on it, we pull ourselves near to God. Thirdly, lifting up our soul to God brings confidence and assurance. Notice verse 2 and 3, and then also verse 13. He says, O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. And then verse 13, uh, his soul shall dwell at ease. His seed shall inherit the earth. So one who has lifted up their soul into God, it brings great confidence and assurance. The word ashamed means to fail in hope or expectation. So never let me fail or never let my expectation fail. You know, one of the things that's true about the Lord, with him, we can expect exactly what he has said. Exactly what, because thy word is true. And God doesn't say anything he can't do. And he doesn't say anything that he 
won't do. Everything that he has said, he will perform. The Proverbs, Solomon said, Proverbs 14, 26, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. You know, we don't think that fear and confidence go together. But when you fear the Lord, he gives you strong confidence. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. But And then Proverbs 28.1, Solomon again said, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You think about it, the boldness that Daniel had to have. To stand before Melzar, I think it was, the king's, uh, you know, whoever, whatever rank he was, and to say, um, could we have something else to eat? Because that violates our religious convictions. And for conscience sake, could we, you know, and, then, and give us a test for 10 days. You realize the risk he's taken? Just to even open his mouth. And then the risk of the 10-day thing. He had to have an awful lot of confidence that the Lord would take care of them in that 10 days and that they wouldn't immediately get their heads cut off. Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar, whom he would, he put down, whom he would, he lift it up. He didn't care. That took a lot of boldness, confidence. Here's the old lonely old Noah out there building his ark based simply on the word of the Lord. And the whole world is against him. He's all by himself and his children. That's it. And millions, maybe billions of people on the earth, and he's the only one that believes this. Could you imagine? I mean, sometimes you might think you're in minority, which we are, but you really think you're in a minority, you know. But... I mean, it isn't just up my family. There's other families here, too. But Noah's all by himself. None of his comrades his age agree with him. None of them. But he's building that ark based simply on the word of the Lord. He had confidence in God. Did he get what he expected? Was he ashamed or embarrassed? Hmm. You know, when Moses tried it his way, he ended up embarrassed and humiliated. He had to flee for his life and went from being Pharaoh's house to being a shepherd in the desert. But when he turned aside to see the bush not burning... He was no longer ashamed, or did he get what he waited for? He's standing later at the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are pursuing behind them, and the Lord simply says, stand still and see the salvation of the God. For the Egyptians you see today, you'll see no more. 
So we need to learn to lift up our soul, to wait on him. Be still and know that I am God. It will give us a peace and assurance that passeth all understanding. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Again, very familiar uh, verses. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, but be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. So the idea of requesting is to lift up your soul to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So lifting up your soul to God will bring great confidence and assurance into your soul. It'll give you that expectation. Because God, it'll give you an understanding that God does keep his word. He will perform that which he has promised. Fourthly, a lifted soul will learn his ways. Notice verses 4 and (coughs) 5. Excuse me. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Now, we need to learn all of his ways for all of our day. Notice he says there, verse 5, on thee do I wait all the day. So the idea here is is that David is saying he's lifting up his soul continually. It's constantly. He's constantly seeking the Lord and the Lord's ways. It speaks of continual fellowship with the Lord. And so we need to learn all of his ways for all of our day and all of our days. Uh, and, we, and several things we, are, we, we need to learn is, number one, we remember that God is merciful and does not remember our sin against us anymore think of it if you notice in verses uh, 6 and 7 remember O Lord thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses for they have been ever of old remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgression according to thy mercy remember thou me for thy goodness sake now in Acts chapter 13 at Antioch and Pisidia and Paul and Barnabas went in the synagogue. Paul said this in Acts 13, 38, and 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. See, through Jesus Christ is preached the forgiveness of sins. And being justified, and through him, we, that all that believe are justified from all things. When he wrote to the church of Colossae, in Colossians 2.13, he said, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Hebrews 8.12 For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, 
and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. No more. And again, in chapter 10, verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You know, we ought to dwell on, we ought to spend some time dwelling on the mercy and goodness of God, that he remembers our iniquities no more. You know, I used to talk with, when we lived in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of Armenians around us. And one of the things I'd ask them was, how many sins did you commit when Jesus, before Jesus died? Therefore, Jesus died for all your sins, past, present, and future, because they were all future when he died. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our sins are washed away in the blood of Christ. He forgives us all our trespasses. They can't be brought up and we be sentenced again to hell. Now we know that if we sin in, in this life after we're saved, we can hinder our fellowship with the Lord, but we can't be sentenced to hell again. That's been settled. That's been settled. You know, we are going to be judged as sons and daughters, but we're not going to be judged for our sin. As to whether we have a relationship with him or not. And so, we remember that God is merciful. He does not remember our sins against us anymore. And when, and when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we need to forget about them. I remember this very plainly. My wife thinks it's a kind of crude illustration. But then consider the guy that gave it. Dr. Hal Webb. He was a old-time, staunch... Um, very blunt, I guess, evangelist. Anyway, he said, too many Christians are like little boy who had this big pussycat that got run over on the road. And he just cried and cried. Mom said, go bury him. So he went out in the backyard and he dug a hole and he buried his pussycat. His mother went out to look. So many, too many Christians are like that little boy who want to pull their sins back up and check on them once in a while. And Christ says, God says, what's this? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. He don't remember them anymore. He would say, what sin? See, we need to remember the goodness and mercy of God. We need to dwell on that. Secondly, he will teach us his way. Now, the word way is used three times in this passage. Verse 4, show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. The paths really has the same idea. Verse 9 Meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. In verse 12, what man is he that feareth him? 
uh, feareth the Lord, him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. Uh, the word way means a, speaks of a road or a course of life. And the word of God teaches us how to live. He teaches us how to live. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, uh, we teach people how to live. Now, when Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, he's talking about the way or the course of salvation there. But, but uh, God also does teach us how, not only how to be saved, but he teaches us how to live. How to live. U.S. became the most prosperous nation on earth. Not because we have the most natural resources. Because we don't. Probably the richest continent in the world in natural resources is the poorest continent in the world, Africa. No, it's because of the influence of the word of God. You see, the Bible teaches people how to live and how to prosper in this world, in this sin-cursed world. Yeah, I just thought the other day. <clears throat> you know, some who came to America tried communism first. Um, but, you know, that really is a denial of the sin nature. It, it, it really, you know, if some can live taking from others, they will. They, they just will. In a communal system at Jamestown and other places failed miserably. And most soon came to understand, or did already previously understand, that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. That's what the Bible teaches. And this is the thought I had. Welfare not only causes higher taxes for the working, but it also causes wastes of goods, particularly food. And therefore, it inflates the cost of food. You know, to violate God's principles is costly to any society. Welfare is nothing more than government thievery. You know, the Bible says we're to love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor, you won't live off of him or steal from him or bear false witness against him or kill him or cover his things. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Bible teaches property rights. Exodus 20, 17. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. Nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. That's called personal property. And we're not to cover it. Of course, there's other places that teach that as well. But, you know, the princes, you know, they weren't commanded not to take from the people their land. Uh, Ezekiel talks about that. You know, the Bible teaches how to treat women. You know, until, you know, the Jews always treated their women better than the heathen did. 
They always did. Women always fared better under Bible truth, whether it was Judaism or Christianity. Uh, it, how to treat women, how to treat wives, how to marry, who to marry, how to raise children. You know, all these are made possible, again, through a late relationship with the Lord. You see, the Word of God teaches one how to live. It gives us a course for life, a prosperous life. That's not only pleasing to the Lord, but it's pleasing to man. Why does everybody want to come to America? You know, I bite my tongue sometimes. You know, I want to say to some people, you know, concerning the immigration issue, but I'm usually at work, so I, you know, don't want to risk causing business to the, losing business to the boss, so I don't usually say anything. But, but uh, you know, I often want to say, you know, you come from su such and such a place. Do you agree? Do you want to? Did you want to bring their policies here, or did you come here because you oppose those policies that will bring us into? You know, I want to, I want to say to these Mexicans, you want to come here and make our country like Mexico? Because if you if you, you continue to come here and promote the same policies, we're going to be just like what you came from. You see, the difference in our country is it was built upon Bible principles. The Word of God teaches that. You know, Verse 14 says, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. And you know, I often think when I read that of Genesis chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, where the Lord was appeared to Abraham when he came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis chapter 18, he came to Abraham first. And the reason he came to Abraham was Abraham feared him. Abraham had reverence for God. He worshipped the Lord. He was one that would, was continually lifting up his soul, getting his direction from the Lord, and trusting in him and seeking his aid. And he says in verse 17, The Lord said, Genesis 18, 17, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now, so God revealed his ways to Abraham because he reverenced God, he obeyed the Lord, and he commanded his children after him, and he got what he expected. You know what? You know how the neighbors around Abraham and Isaac viewed them? They all envied him. I, it says of Isaac that he sowed in the land and he, and he received a hundredfold. And they all envied him. He prospered. You know, Psalm 14.6 says this, A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. You know, a scorner doesn't really want to know the truth. They just want to make fun of it. They want to do their own thing. So a scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth not. You know, he's always looking for a better way. 
that suits himself. But he never finds it. Because there's only one good way. That's God's way. There's one way that works. So a scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not, but knowledge is easy to him that understandeth. When you understand that I need to lift up your, when you understand you need to lift up your soul to God and seek His wisdom and His aid, guess what? You're gonna understand. God will give you understanding. He'll open your understanding, so you can believe, understand it, and see how God can take care of it. You wait on Him. <coughs> Excuse me. And God's ways are not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. That word grievous means they're not burdensome. They're not burdensome to us. You know, the world thinks we're weighed down with all these rules and regulations. You know, some Christians are. Some Christians are. Some people really are legalists, Amish are legalists. They're trusting in the things that they do and hoping they have eternal life. Yeah, really, really, Catholics are legalists because they continue to work and work and do another work and another work and another work. Oh, they may not have the same dress standards as we have, but see, they're trusting in all their works to be good enough that when it's all over they'll be accepted now we're not doing we're not dressing to be accepted into heaven we just do it because it pleases the Lord we ought not do it because we have to because we want to it's a desire of the heart and we don't have to walk around and have a, I wonder if I'm okay. I wonder if I'm all right. No, we can know. We can have that assurance. Because God teaches us in his word how to please him. And those things are not burdensome to us. They're not burdensome. Fourthly, or fifthly, I guess it is, the lifted soul will find protection. Notice verse 15. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall, notice, pluck my feet as a net. Again, the word picture, you know, a net is spread in the sight of any birds. So you got a net spread for a bird. And he's about to get caught. So his feet are plucked out. You know, the Lord will prevent us from being snared by the devil. When we, when, we, when we lift up our soul to the Lord, we are prevented from being snared by the devil or being caught in his net. A couple of verse, other verses here in Psalms, Psalm 9 and verse 15. He says, the heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made in the net, which they hid in their own. In the net which they hid is their own foot. 
taken. Uh, Psalm 34, or 31, verse 4. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privately for me, for thou art my strength. And then Psalm 35, verse 7 through 9, says, For without cause have they hid from me their net in the pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares. Let his net that he hath hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Or the word salvation means deliverance. And then Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. You know, James says in James chapter 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The key is not resisting the devil. That's not the key. The key there is submitting to God. And God will keep you out of the snares of the devil if you are submitted to him. And we've got to submit to him. We've got to lift our soul to him. Seeking him with our whole heart. You know, the reality is that if you will not lift up yourself to God... You're really opposing yourself. You know, the children of Israel in the wilderness, through their unbelief, opposed themselves. They brought harm to themselves and hardship. In Acts chapter 18, verse 6, at Corinth, Paul said there were some, and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean from henceforth. I will go to the Gentiles. Timothy, when he's writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.25, he said in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. And so when we don't, we will not lift up our soul to God and seek his help. We're really opposing ourselves. God is there waiting. He is good and upright, desirous. For as Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. Sometimes people in their pride, fear, unbelief, I just, I don't believe God can do it. Or I'm afraid what he might ask. Or maybe bitterness or resentment that cause us not to lift our soul to God. But the psalmist says, Unto thee, O God, why lift up my soul? Lift up your soul to God. Lift yourself. Lift your face. It's the idea of a, a face like a, like a little child with, a, with that, with that uh, innocent countenance looking to their parent or their dad or their mom for help. Look to him. Seek him. He is willing to aid you.
So yes, lift up yourself. Don't oppose yourself. Lift up yourself. God desires and is ready and willing to aid us. So lift up yourself under the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that you give us. We thank you, Father, for your promises that are yea and amen. They are true from beginning to end. Help us, Father, to trust in those promises. Help us, Father, to realize and understand that you are good and upright, that you will act upon your word. You will keep your promises. Help us not to be afraid, but to trust in thee. Trust you with our life, with our soul, our spirit, with our bodies. So we might glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. Father, just again, thank you for the encouragement we find in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.